0: Welcome to the Messy Progress Podcast, the show that will give you the courage and confidence to get messy, uncaged, and liberated so that you're living your most vibrant life. I'm your host, Adrian Smith, and I'm so stoked that you're here. Let's jump right in. I'm queuing up this next episode because you need a little bit of background information. This episode is the first of three episodes that I have with my world record rowing team. Each episode dives into a one-on-one conversation with my teammates. I am in awe of us and who we've been for each other. And I want to start by saying that had we recorded these interviews in the first few weeks that we got back, there would not be the richness nor the depth that has been able to be illuminated simply by having this last year to reflect individually and collectively and to share that with you. There's a lot of people who don't have a clue about our ocean adventure. So to give you a little bit of background to this conversation, I want to explain some of the logistics so that it can help bring some context to these discussions. On June 21st, 2022, me and three other amazing women, Sophia Dennison-Johnston, whom I'm interviewing on this episode, Libby Costello and Brooke Downs, and myself, pushed off the dock in Sausalito, California, with 1 million calories on board, a water maker, satellite devices, a lot of music, and a mission statement to elevate each other's greatness and make it to Hawaii in an ocean rowing boat to break the previous world record for a women's four. Our mission statement, just to be clear, was to make it to Hawaii as fast as possible and elevate each other's greatness. When I did sign up for this, it was presented to me as the opportunity to break a world record. And I wanted to make sure that I wasn't gone too long because I have a little girl at home. Fortunately, we proved successful in all of our missions and made it from the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, California, to the dock at the Waikiki Yacht Club in Honolulu, Hawaii, in a record 34 days, 14 hours, and 20 minutes, beating the last team's world record by a full day. And I also want to make sure that this is known as well. The women that came before us with this world record, they broke the previous world record by 15 days. They're the ocean sheroes, and they were paramount in our success of getting to the start line as a team and having an inspirational group of women that we connected with before we started. And they were cheering us on while we were out there. We rode two hours on, two hours off, 24 hours a day for these 34 days, 14 hours and 20 minutes. We ate, slept, and rested in shifts, never getting any more than 90 minutes or so of sleep at any one time. We slept in small cabins and had turned salt water into drinking water using a water maker. We ate freeze dried meals like backpacking food, plus a lot of salty and sugary snacks while listening to our favorite music and books on audio. These conversations are just that they're conversations. The first in depth ones, in fact, that I've had with each of my teammates about our journey. And I'm honored to share them with you. Each interview could have gone on and on. I honestly didn't want to end. And we might do some follow ups because I believe each of us came back having ignited a light, a spark, you can call it, that was already there within each of us. And this journey across the ocean as a team, especially I know for myself because I know what it's done for me, what it's created for me, but it really has helped us to each individually tap into our truth, our honesty, our potential, our vulnerability, our ability to communicate, and so much more. So much more that's always been there, but perhaps just wasn't known yet, either personally or publicly. I hope you enjoy listening to them as much as I enjoyed having these conversations. Here we go. So just to kick it off, one of the favorite things that we did when we first met well not first met but our team first met was yeah. we were at your parents house your dad was our chef for the weekend classic so many good foods i felt so taken care of by your by your parents which was such a great way to start our journey together as a group and then also to sit down and have the whoops and poops conversation yeah and some people know this as highs and lows, mm-hmm. but I feel like, you know, we're talking like whoops, like whoops, whoops, whoo, <laughs> and the poops as in like, yeah, these things happened. We're obviously, I feel like you and everyone in our kind of sphere of who we mm, hang out with <laughs> don't focus on the poops, but sometimes yeah. to bring it to the surface so that you can just get through it and clear the air. Yeah. So what are your,
1: just to start the day, the whoops and poops for this morning? So this morning, well, my whoop is that I feel good in my body. You know, I had like a stomach bug yesterday. I think I ate something off. So I just, I literally didn't eat anything yesterday until like 8 PM. I got some rice in and this morning I like woke up and like ate oatmeal and I was like, ah, yes, we're good. That's my whoop. Um and for poops, I know you're just like, well, we just don't have poops because we like to not focus on them. But um, well, I I guess my poop is that I had to cancel a lot of like the things that I wanted to do yesterday because I wasn't feeling well. And so today was supposed to be like a day off of like, yay, like I have a day off to do like some self-care and stuff, but I kind of just like didn't do anything yesterday. So I don't really want to just like hang out today. Lounge all day. Yeah. So I guess I'm like, not really sure what to do with my day is my poop, but yeah. Hopefully the sun will come out and it can be nice. I mean, not that you
0: can't go outside without the sun, but I feel like
1: it's extra nice with the sun for sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You said something about like, well, we don't focus on the poops. It's like, sometimes we can't, like, we don't even have one that we can come up with. And I remember that so much on our trip.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I can, I can reflect back now that there's been so much time that's passed and even right when we got back Uh and you and I and Brooke were sitting at test pilot talking about how you had been grinding your teeth at night. Yeah. And then Brooke's like me too. And then like me too. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't realize I had PTSD from this
1: trip. I was like, I thought, I thought I was like doing really good. Like, I think I'm happy. I think I'm like, I don't think I'm stressed, you know, but obviously my body knew something that my brain didn't pick up on. So yeah, that's definitely a thing. I think that is like, I mean, our bodies are like so resilient, so good at like surviving that I think I remember telling people, I was like, a lot of my, I think, romanticized reason of doing this journey was kind of like wanting to really feel what it feels like to be at your limit. Cause I think a lot of us think that we've been there, but maybe like we haven't actually, and it's kind of funny. It's kind of, it's like, I'm sure everyone actually has been at their limit not everyone, but like a lot of people have, and we just gaslight ourselves into being like, no, I'm not actually tough. Like, no, that's not actually hard. But the crazy thing is like, we can know that like physiologically we were like not in a good place out at sea. And yet when we were there, there were times where like, i felt exactly how I feel right now, you know, where I was like, I don't know, like, I don't really feel any pain in my body. Like I'm just hanging out. I don't feel like I've only gotten a couple hours of sleep at a time. So it's like, I kind of wanted to like be in that pain cave and like push through it and see some sort of euphoria or something. And actually my body just like shut down those sensory experiences and was like, nope, you're fine. Everything's fine. And it's interesting to see, to realize like, wow, how much of that is happening just like in our daily lives, you know, a hundred percent Just numb and <laughs>
0: dissociate. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you and I have had so many great conversations including our first drive up to the Bay and listening to, I don't even know what the name of that book was, but then Pierce just like intimacy. causing it.
1: What was it called? Fierce intimacy.
0: Fierce intimacy. That's right. Yeah. That was like right when I was, I feel like going through like the lowest point of my marriage of all time. So my therapist at the time had recommended it. So thank God we're on the other side of that. Yeah, um, But we just had some great conversations and just chatting about the deeper stuff, which I've always loved with you that we can go there and it we go there really quickly and share on the stuff of what's going on in family. And like, I think this might be the thing that's happening. And, you know, speaking of the body stuff is, you know, when I got back and shared with someone that was at my studio about my jaw. And then the other part, and I think you shared this too, at some point when we were having conversations, um, something similar, but my friend's alarm clock had gone off and it was the same alarm clock that went off six times a day on the boat. And I started sweating. I can't hear it anymore. No, I I can now because I did some work with my my one of my clients who does EMDR. And um and I'll hear it every once in a while. Like I think I just heard it at the airport on Monday. And I was like, there's that sound. And I'm okay. Cool. But like there was a time when I wasn't okay. And so to talk about the way that our body stores. The traumas of things, and we don't give ourselves the permission. And sometimes, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, because sometimes I feel like, especially in a preparation for our row, not during our row, because we were kind of isolated in our little bubble of, you know, mm-hmm. people who are joyful and um going towards the same mission, but then afterwards, is like sometimes people will put it on us that oh, that was crazy. Oh, you realize like you were in like a survival situation. And I was like, I really wasn't though. Like there was not one moment where I felt like I was just surviving Mm -hmm. mentally. I didn't feel that way. But what you said before was like, we might not have seen all of the euphoric things that we would have seen perhaps had it only been a day trip.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I even remember like some of our training rows felt a lot more dramatic physically and mentally, than like 99.9% of the row, like that 24 hour row we did to Ventura was like a reckoning. <laughs> like, a you know, <laughs> we're all just like heaving on the dock at the end. And we're like, this is, this is insane. And then when we were out there, we're like, Oh, like another Tuesday. Like, do you want Santa Fe rice and beans or, lasagna? <laughs> you know, just like, so yeah I do think sometimes like those shorter bits we allow ourselves to kind of like experience that heightened intensity of the moment whereas like when you're in it for the long haul your body's like buckle up like you got this it's kind of interesting I think I think that's maybe one of the reasons why like so many people do find themselves you know later in life you know been doing something they didn't like but it's like when it's such a long haul thing, you don't necessarily notice all the things that are like not working for you or all the things that are making this kind of survival y. Whereas mm-hmm. like if you just like saw it as like, what's this day look like? And be like, oh wow, that day doesn't look very fun.
0: Yeah. Or like I like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: On my mind recently, because
0: I just got back from being in Hawaii at mm-hmm. Um, like the most epic place of all time, like on, like right on the water. Um, I was very aware of how much I like land and like <laughs> to see the ocean and go on it, but like be able to come really quick back, not from like fear, but just like I, I like land. But um, you live. <laughs> <makes yeah. sense. laughs> totally is uh, I was noticing about because I was there for one of Jason's races, mm-hmm. and everyone that we were around was racing. And I was watching my thoughts and my feelings and all of like my sensations of what I wanted to do and not wanted to do. And I was like, people would ask like, do you have FOMO that you're not doing this? And I was like, I don't actually. But there was a part of me that did want to do it. And so I started to get in this inquiry phase with myself of like, what's driving it? What's driving the desire to do what they're doing? And meanwhile, it's like, 85 degrees out, everyone that's finishing is like, oh my God,
1: that's so hard.
0: And I, I like, I can't say that with our adventure that we did, I didn't get back to land and fall to the floor the way that people fall to the ground after half Ironman race. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because ours was like the endurance of the journey and the choice at the beginning and repeatedly to like, to be in this space of like, I chose to be here. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't want to get up for this alarm clock and I don't want to eat another thing of rice and beans, like Mm -hmm. I'm choosing this, Mm -hmm. what moments like for you, did you have while, while we were out at sea And and there may be few or maybe several where you had to wrestle with that for yourself of like, I chose to do this I, the older, like the younger version of me wanted to do this. Now yeah. I have convinced that version that like, this was the right choice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I kind of did collapse, like getting back to shore. Like, I don't, I don't know. You were a space cadet. Like, I do remember I think, that. I like, think some of it was just like the, that coming back, I was like standing for like the longest I'd stood and like so long. So like, I do think that I, I did collapse in a way like, I don't think I saw the rest of you guys doing. Yeah. I think for me, like reflecting back, I mean, I didn't feel like I was choosing anymore. Um, when I was out there. I mean, I knew that I had a prior commitment. I didn't feel like, because I didn't feel like I could opt out. I think that's the thing is like, when you make a choice, there's an alternative. And like with the row, once you're out there, there is not an alternative. But I yeah. Think-
0: so one thing about that, I want to ask you, because the day before we left, Mm-hmm. Chris Martin showed us videos of people that didn't that make- did
1: give up. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And there was one know, that just wasn't <laughs> an option.
1: <laughs> no. There was
0: one specifically though, where people left and they came back like eight hours later. Do you remember
1: that? <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that. I mean, like what? <laughs> yeah. And so I,
0: while, while we were out there that first couple hours or mm-hmm. the first week, like the thought of turning around and going back just never occurred to me, but it's something that it seems like people ask a lot about, like, did you ever want to go back or, you know, when you, when you didn't see land anymore?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, like that kind of wrestling moment would have just been with the sitting on my butt, like my butt bones, it really felt like they were just slowly burrowing a hole into my glutes. Like it was the pressure sores were so uncomfortable. And I think for me, it was just about like moderating how much I was like getting up to stretch and like relieve that pressure and like trying to assess like, what's the amount that is like useful and what's the amount that's just like me avoiding sitting. Mm. (laughs) So I think that probably was like that sensation for me of like, I mean, I was going to keep doing the journey and keep rowing and like, you can't just stand up for your whole shift and not row at all. So, you know. But I think that was like the really, for me, like the choice moments of just like, wow, I really, really want to get up, but it hasn't been like 30 minutes yet or something like kind of giving myself chunks of time to like force myself to get through, which is something like, I don't think I realized I was like even doing until more recently. Cause I would have been embarrassed to be like, I didn't want to row. Cause I loved row. I actually really enjoyed the rowing part. Like everything about the rowing besides sitting on my butt. <laughs> it was so fun. Like, I loved that every time we got out, it was almost like a new puzzle to solve, like what the conditions were. And I loved getting a chance to row with both you and Libby and figuring out like how to, like what changes need to be made to like get that combination to maximize its potential. And so I really enjoyed that part, but yeah, the sitting man, like I didn't, and the waking up, like I didn't have an emotional, like it wasn't hard for me to like wake up and put clothes on from like, uh, I don't want to do this point, but like my brain just put me to sleep constantly. Like I would get up and try and put my pants on. And because it's so small, I'd have to lay down to put my pants on and then I'd like be asleep. (laughs) So that was so interesting to feel like kind of desperate to be able to like, make that choice. Like, no, stay awake. We're going, no, stay awake. We're going and feel like, my body was like making the decision for me to fall asleep. And Brooke and I just had to be like, not afraid to just knock and be like, get, the f- get up <laughs> yeah. get on your seat. Like it's time to switch. And we did just like constantly have to like reassess and kind of stay on each other and, you know, admonish each other if we were late and stuff, because yeah, that was, that definitely slipped a little bit.
0: Well, it's interesting because we got to witness each other's, kind of patterns mm-hmm. in that way, which like exactly as you're describing, it was, it's sort of out of your control
1: mm-hmm. when
0: you lean back and like, I would get up the same and yeah. like, start to do the putting on of something, lift my butt up to put new shorts on and then yeah. lean back. And it wasn't like, I was like, I can't get up, but <laughs> the body was just like, this is so much. Don't fun. do it.
1: Here. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah I mean, when we moved the lounge to be in front of our door, I think that helped a lot because what I would do is I would just get dressed in outside. Mm-hmm. I would like throw my stuff outside, and that way, I wasn't laying down to put things on. But you know, where the lounge was was really just dependent on the conditions and that kind of stuff. So that was definitely hard. But, yeah, it's so funny. Like those little things that just like now are not things that we think about or deal with. <laughs> We're like I know. the thing. I know. And part of it was, you know, back to the word choice is like,
0: for instance, like I got up to teach yoga this morning and my alarm went off at five Oh five. And mm-hmm. I'm jet lagged from being three hours back in Hawaii time. And when I got up, I was just like, I didn't just turn the alarm off and go back to bed. It was sort of like, there was a sense of urgency. Mm-hmm. And I even said to myself, you can take a nap later,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but that wasn't something that we were able to kind of give ourselves permission to do like, of course a nap was going to happen later, but it wasn't like you were going to get an abundance of something later that you needed. There was almost a sense of, um, like scarcity that for me, I, I even dreamt about the first week I was dreaming about getting packages delivered in the middle of the ocean and I was dreaming of being on a dock walking with, I think it was even like Brooke's mom holding her hand while we were like going to get snacks or something from a store. Mm -hmm. And like, so that was real. Like the, the subconscious in my world was, I mean, I also dreamed of Ryan Reynolds a couple (laughs) of times, you know, um, but it was like the subconscious was there just in the background, like, in a way saying now, looking back, like, yeah, you didn't have an abundance of something. We had enough, which we got through that. But,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, I think that's the part where a lot of times people don't get is our bodies, as you said at the beginning, like they adapted. Mm-hmm. And, and at the same time, you mentioned that when you got back, and I do remember this now that you say it about getting back and like kind of crashing is like, you didn't fall over, but I definitely remember when we were standing for that Good Morning America interview in the hot ass room and Brooke and I were standing staring at each other and she's just sweating. And you were like, you were kind of spacey afterwards. Like I think the adrenaline lasted a little longer for me.
1: Yeah. I remember looking over at Libby and she was, she looked like she had just been out like on a two hour trip, like for funsies. And she was like hugging people and laughing. And I was like, take me home oh my god I can't do this anymore
0: yeah so how did you spend your time when you got because we didn't we like literally like we got to land and it was like cockroaches then like lights went on and we were away from each other what did you do
1: yeah I mean I went home or you know to my hotel slept eight hours um we had like interviews and stuff to do like we saw each other for that like cleaning the boat. It was so funny. I got sunburned cleaning the boat. I didn't get sunburned the entire row, and then I was cleaning the boat. I was like, "This is gonna take no time at all." Of course, I got sunburned. And Brooke and I got our got our um, You know, we kind of just did some like grooming self care. I think like just so much, so much exfoliating, <laughs> <laughs> brushing all the dead hair out of my head. Yeah. I mean, I didn't stay very long, to be honest. I kind of stayed for like a couple days enough to like have the energy to fly back. Hmm. And I was like, I'll see Hawaii another time. Um, I just want to be home. So I didn't, yeah, I didn't do very much. I, I kind of just laid around and walk. I tried to walk a little bit every day. Did you have favorite
0: food that you had when you were in Hawaii, like afterwards? And then even when you got home? Cause I like crushed, I crushed lattes and acai bowls every okay. day. I was like, yeah, I mean, honestly, like, I'm like fancy coffee. Yeah. yeah,
1: fresh food. I love poke, smoothies, that kind of stuff. But honestly, I kind of like, I mean, I have like a long, complicated relationship with food just because my background is in a weight sport um, where I've like been managing my food for a long time and, you know, probably borderline disordered tendencies, but also like very well managed with professionals, which is very helpful. Um, for me, I think like, I just wanted to be able to let myself get hungry. Like I felt like that was actually, I I wrote down when I was like, whoops and poops. One of my poops for the row is that eating felt like a chore. Cause Mm -hmm. like, I think eating should be like a really nice experience. It's like, you're nourishing your body with like all the things that you need. And, you know, if you're cooking for yourself, you can kind of like put exactly what you feel like you need into your meal. And But just because we had to eat so much and eat food that I didn't like very much, um, it just felt like a chore. So just the ability to, like, not eat for a while and then, like, wait to get hungry and then seek out exactly what I wanted, whether it was, like, soup or poke or a smoothie or, like, papaya or whatever. I did get really into papaya, actually, afterwards. Well, it's interesting that you bring it up,
0: that it's a chore. Like, it was a chore because I from my perspective I felt the same and I also felt like you did a really good job with that chore like you did a good job eating and I was jealous in a way out there because I was like I just can't like I'm trying so hard to eat these things and like none of them taste good anymore and even like bringing in like old favorites or adding you know spicy hot sauces that we had yeah yeah um, yeah.
1: I mean, I think it's like a skill too. It's like, I, I think again, like I learned that from like working with a professional and being like, okay, hey, I guess I'll eat pumpkin again for like the fourth time this week that I don't want to eat, but is like what I'm supposed to eat to perform at my best. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Like I I was trained to eat food. I don't like, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, there are definitely times where I was looking over at you and be like, yeah, I don't fucking want this either. <laughs> but <laughs> I got this. Yeah, I remember and, and I, I
0: opted it. more for like Oreo cookies and Smarties and stuff than
1: yeah. I one of my favorite like laughing. We had like a catchphrase for anyone listening that was just puke and rally, which like didn't even have to be about puking, but that idea of like you you do something you don't like and you keep going. And I remember Libby sitting in front of you when we were rowing. And you were obviously rowing there too, because she was off the oars yeah. and she was like she was like eating this bag of food and she was like wincing every time. And she's like, okay, I'm going to have four more bites. And then she'd like count them out loud and be like, one. <laughs> and it was like so pitiful. And I remember she would ask me to make noises. Like when you're feeding a kid and you're yeah. like, woo, like chugga, 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 chug. So she'd ask for a different noise on every bite. And it would just kind of like distract her from the discomfort. I just remember laughing so hard at that. And she was like, can you make like UFO noises? Because we talked a lot about air, like aliens and stuff, and it's like beep, bop, boop, boop. <laughs> like I don't know, just like silly things. And I remember like having those moments where you just like feel so low, and you're like, is there anything that could make me laugh right now? Like because that's what I need to
0: do. Yeah, well, you know what's so crazy that you bring that up because the counting of food thing happens. You know, having a kid. Mm-hmm. And we'll have these discussions. Me and Reese will just be like, I'll have three more bites. Can I just have three more bites? And I was just like, great, you know, whatever. And I've learned through s- different psychologists that like having those conversations with kids might not actually just be the best. It's like sort of eat as many, eat, eat as much as you still want to eat. But like after this, the kitchen's closed. Yeah. But mm-hmm. um, You know, it's how to make things fun and lighthearted is something that I have, done a much better job since getting back of putting into practice around like putting on clothes and like I'll grab Reese's stuffies and be like oh Mr. Sealy wants to pick out your clothes today (laughs) but I feel like everyone Libby and I obviously wasn't in your cabin but it was just like me and her had those conversations too when the lounge was in the middle and we were like knee to knee and she's making breakfast and just like talking about the insanity of what we were doing and just laughing for hours at like how ridiculous. I'm like, we're eating the same fucking oatmeal again. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, that is, that's something that I wrote down too. Like that idea of like, you can take on a challenge and it can be uncomfortable, but like not that horrible, like, but you can still laugh when you're doing it. And I think that that is like a really big takeaway from the row cuz i think that there are so many things that take a lot of courage and that are really uncomfortable like or you don't want to do and so you can just avoid them and like for me there was like not to turn this into like a really serious conversation but um you know there was i kind of uncovered some trauma from my childhood like that i don't need to go super in depth into but essentially like some sexual abuse from my childhood that I had totally swept under the rug. Um, and it just kind of came out. And I think that a lot of times, like as athletes and as women, you know, we choose to go into sport or, you know, something we we go into these like achievement mindsets almost to kind of like prove that we are strong, that we are in charge, that like we can control what's going on with us. And at least with sports, it's like your body too. It's like you can manipulate your own body and like make it better at something and you can be strong. And I think that the way that we were able to approach this challenge and still have humor and still have joy and see that like, there is like a fun thing, despite the discomfort happening, it, it made a lot of like uncomfortable things that were worth it, more accessible, you know, whether that was going to therapy and dealing with this like traumatic experience or even just having like tough conversations that I definitely would have avoided earlier, you know, and being like, you know, it's gonna be really uncomfortable, but like it's it's like gonna be worth it. And like at the end of this, we're we might even have like a better relationship than we had before. Yeah, you just don't know what
0: the future looks like.
1: Yeah, you don't. But and if you if you're afraid to dive into those things, that's gonna be what shapes your life, you know, just avoiding discomfort.
0: Yeah. How did you I know you shared I think a little bit of this with me when we went for a run a couple months back? Mm-hmm. Is like when did you discover that for yourself about the, your childhood trauma? Was it while you were out there? Did you no.
1: was it um it was actually I was part of my preparation was about kind of setting myself up for the return because like I knew that there was going to be a crash and you know, it was about making sure I had a job that I could come back to. I had like friends and my partner that I could come back to, but also a therapist because um, I'd worked with therapists before, but just hadn't really connected with any of them super strongly or just it didn't wasn't really what I needed. And when I met with the person who ended up being my therapist coming back, it really just came out. And like, I knew that I was so much more comfortable talking to her and she was able to bring out these things in me that I didn't know about. So it was literally days before we launched, um, that, that really got brought to light. And I remember sharing it with Brooke and Libby cause they were staying at my house at the time. And, um, it was like days before we went to Sausalito. So it was like 10 days before we launched. And I remember Brooke was like, is it, do you think this is going to like affect you on the row? Like, is this something that, you know, like, not to like tell you that I don't trust you, but like, like, what do you need to like do this row now that this has come up? And I was like, honestly, there's no men on the boat. Like, I think it's going to be fine. <laughs> and that proved out to be true. And I mean, I talked to my therapist and she was like, clearly you're really good at surviving and, you know, breaking through. So like, maybe let's just hold on to that for a little longer. But when you're ready to, you know, do another thing that's brave, then, you know, call me up and we can start working on this. So I didn't really even start working on it until probably like a month and a half after coming back. I just like needed time to decompress. And then I was like, okay, I'm like feeling more secure and solid and like less just drained. And so I started that whole journey and it's like kind of that like whoops and poops talk. It's like, it felt in, in, in times it felt like a lot of poops. Cause I was, you know, really devastated and working through things and, But like when you zoom out, it's like a huge whoop, you know, like, I don't even know if my greatest accomplishment of this last year was like rowing across an ocean in record time or like having the courage to face my childhood trauma. Like it was that it was almost like more emotionally tough to do that than what we did. Yeah. (laughs) I think some of it is about choice. You know, it's like we were choosing to do this ocean. Like I didn't choose to have that experience, but I still had, I was still accountable to like dealing with it. So But yeah, I think that having, you know, an awesome team, but also like our team also provided kind of like a, a blueprint for being able to be vulnerable with each other and with ourselves and like getting to know, I I say a lot, like it felt like a lot of the preparation for this row was like getting to know like the worst version of myself and accepting her and my teammates, you know, oh, it gives and, me the chills. Yeah. Yeah. And just being like, I, you know, we all do so much to try and hide you know, our flaws from people that we care about, but really like, they're not flaws. They're like, it's, it's human to like, not be fun and easy to talk to all the time. But yeah, I think that's so liberating to, to know that you can be at your worst and there'll be people who are still like, because they know you and because they know that you're, you know, having a moment, they don't take it personally. Well, and that's
0: not like the, The thing that the word that comes up for me is like abandonment is like when we've chosen this group of women to do this with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it didn't happen on accident, it was very intentional and then also serendipitous, right? Just like there were other people before me that had said yes, and then I was brought on. But exactly what you just captured was like the essence of for me, what I've taken as my biggest learning after this was like, I was, there was times when I, I recognized that I was scared to show all of the colors of myself. And Mm -hmm. I can still remember when we were sitting in my living room, breaking down, I think it was the Ventura row. Mm -hmm. And kind of, or, I mean, it happened several times where like, I would take a day and then we would have like a group call and then I'd be like, something would come out. (laughs) Something would come out. Like I was like holding it in, didn't want to share it with anyone. And then I was, but it was like, I'm scared. And this is, um, you know, like, I don't know that we're going at the right time. Should we wait? We're on such a tight timeline and all the ways that like the pressure was on the whole group, but like specifically, like I was taking it on myself, but it was like, to be able to share that, that it wasn't just I had to bear the or shoulder the burden of all of the pressure, but just like just sharing that like I feel pressure where I feel scared. And like when we did that Ben row and it was like, hey ladies, we did 50 miles in 24 hours. Like I just remember I was like, I did not plan to be gone for 60 days. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was just like, I needed to, I couldn't keep that a secret. Yeah. Because then it would be like, but looking, I guess it would be, it would be a secret. And to that point of, um, I feel like Brooke brought that up a couple of times. Like, so with you, you know, you sharing something that occurred for you and her asking, are you going to be able to do it? Was I remember with, with me and Reese, she, I remember her being worried that I was like trying to spend so much time with Reese. And then when I said, no, I'm trying to spend as much time with her as I can so that when I do leave, like, I know that I spent as much time as I could. And she's like, oh, I feel so much better now. Cause I was worried that you were going to be like, not able to be gone from her. And I was like, no, I totally am. But it was just like, even in that little bit of communication of like her fear was that like her teammates weren't going to be able to be like, Endure what we endured because there's these things like our baggage that we're carrying with us, and it's like, no, this is my baggage, and I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah. this is my trauma, and I'm going to still bring lightness to my life. Or this is my, um, this is this is the messiest version of me.
1: Yeah, and it's coming across. And she's coming.
0: <laughs> How many days
1: are back? Yeah, I mean, we all got to see that, and like ultimately, I remember, you know, even having. Conversation with you where it was like, I would so much rather get the, you know, the truth, yeah, that. even if it's uncomfortable or hard here, than not the truth, because at some point it's going to come out and I'd rather be able to prepare for it, you know? And I mm-hmm. think it was, but it's so hard, right. To be able to trust someone with, you know, with something that you see as a flaw or something that you're worried about and, and know that they're still going to have your back. And that's where, you know, people ask us all the time about like what the socializing situation was on the boat and like, if we all got in fights. And I was like, we had so many, you know, instances on land in the preparation where we had to really reckon with just the differences in who we are as people and figure out how to like, how to heat, how to listen, how to speak our truth, you know, all those things that by the time we were at sea, it was so much easier because we were spending so much more time together. Cause that's like a really big thing is like, if you're on a team where people are all in different places, you have no idea what's going on in like the 99% of the time where you're not seeing that person. And you tend subconsciously to just fill in the blanks on your own and like have your own assumptions about who they are, what they're doing. And um, yeah, it's so much easier to understand people when you're like seeing their life. All the time. <laughs> well, and I can remember so many moments before we would get together when we would,
0: you know, meet for our once once a month training meetups as a group. Mm-hmm. Was like I would have all these stories about things that I thought were happening or how this was going or you know everyone was feeling or like are we ready and da 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 da, da. and then all of a sudden we would get together and I'm like oh man it feels so much better. Yeah, you're like I, I have. Was no like, idea. <laughs> I was like God. I, I mean, I can still remember we were sitting at Yellow Belly and. It was like that uncomfortable feeling of like something needs to get surfaced, but we don't know what it is. And then we just brought it to the surface because better out than in. And and then it real, I don't even remember the context of that conversation, but I do remember sitting there being like, I hate this so much. I don't want to like whatever, what that needed to get aired. I didn't want to do it. And someone told me a long time ago, they're like, Adrian, it's really good that you don't want to be in that space of like airing grievances or clearings all the time or confrontation. Cause it would be really awkward if you were the kind of person that was just like always up for confrontations and wanted to do those. And I was like, okay, cool. I just wanted to know, because does, you know, does everyone, does everyone not like those just as much as me? Cause like, I'll do them as you're discussing, you know, it was so much better to have it, especially in advance, be brought to the surface than have it be something that all of a sudden, we're on the in the middle of the boat or in the ocean, and you know, the real truth comes out. And I'm yeah. so grateful that that wasn't something that occurred for us,
1: yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely like a lesson of like knowing when confrontation or like those tough conversations are necessary and actually facing them. and also knowing when, like they're not necessary and maybe you just need to step back from that person. And like that was that was definitely also a thing like we've talked a lot about, you know, the beautiful relationship with the team and like learning how to trust each other and learning how to be honest about who we are and at our best and our worst. But there's also like just that idea of like managing other people, you know, people who have their own things that they want to put on us or And and that could be like in context with the row and, you know, people having their doubts or worries or opinions, or it could be about just like life, you know, you, I think that was a big thing that was realized coming back from the ocean is like, when all four of us were on the boat, like there's only four of us. And we're so distinct, like as people, we all have such different personalities. And so I don't know if you felt this way, but I felt like I really got to know me, like my thoughts because it was really easy to distinguish my thoughts from Libby's thoughts from your thoughts from Brooke's thoughts because they were so different and easily identifiable and spoken and those kinds of things and coming back realizing like oh like everyone has like this stuff flying around and it's really hard to not just like absorb everyone else's thoughts and mistake them for your own or opinions or feelings and um it was a cool kind of like detox <laughs> You know, from everyone else, and then coming back, being able to be like, okay, like I need to try and like maintain some boundaries around like my mind. And, you know, I think I've actually become a lot better listener and more open minded, like as a person from this experience, but also I've been better at recognizing when, you know, what someone is saying like has anything to do with me or not. Yeah.
0: I feel like you've always been really good at that from the beginning of like kind of reeling back conversations of, Hey guys, let's just, you know, settle down and nothing ever got too crazy, but I just feel like you were able to stay objective with the conversations, moving things forward. Even if in the background, like what you're saying is at times we might have the thoughts of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I don't agree with this person's perspective, but it's their perspective. And now I'm going to pause for a second, really listen. Mm -hmm. And then kind of make it objective and also productive to like, how do we get through this? What's, what's the reality that's here? And I can think back to, you know, we were first talking about the PTSD and like the hand sweating and all that stuff is Mm -hmm. I can um, two things that happened for me was one, like breaking down the, the, the lack of desire for getting up and on deck each time. It wasn't just like putting, I hated putting on wet clothes. Mm -hmm but it was also just like that process was, it was, it was hard, like stupid things like walking to the front of the boat to go to the bathroom, but like only having a specific amount of time because I set my alarm for nine minutes. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I sit down in my seat and now I, I didn't get a, ch- I didn't poop on my first trip to the bathroom. And now I've sat down and I need to poop, but I can't sit here for two whole hours and have to poop. <laughs> I also don't want to stand up and feel like I'm avoiding mm. rowing because my butt hurts. And so it's like, all of those things are happening. So it's like, we're becoming like these masters of our domain in the way of like, am I avoiding or do I really have to go to the bathroom? Why didn't you take care of this earlier? Meanwhile, like our teammates on deck also having like whatever experience they're having about our timing of getting ready and having our things and having our snacks. But the other part was when we would have our team meetings Mm -hmm. was There would be times where, you know, we'd share how our bodies were feeling, how we're feeling emotionally, what we needed, anything we needed to clear. And I remember when I went to my therapist, I was like, there was certain things that I didn't say
1: Mm -hmm.
0: out of respect for the, like, I didn't need to share them. They were like my own things I was wrestling with. And I didn't need to like air it all out to everybody else. but it was hard to like, keep it in within myself and not just like, "Ah," like share it all. And, and having the discernment of when to do that and when not to, Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: that alone, like we had to break that down when I got back to where I was just like, there was things I didn't say that I should have said. And it's, you know, you talking about trauma and how it's stored in the body is we can't go back in time and say the things to the person or people that we were in an environment with. Yeah. We, we can deal with them in the present moment of like, yeah, I didn't like that. That made me mad. But yeah. you didn't make me mad. The situation was making me mad. And I have to be, I don't know, an adult and responsible and hold myself accountable for saying in the future, when I feel that feeling,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm not going to just be quiet.
1: Yeah.
0: Or when I experience this, like something that's not fair or unjust or whatever the thing is that I'm like getting stirred up about. I'm like, why don't I speak up and say something? Yeah. Did you experience any of that on the boat? Um, or even afterwards I'll say, cause I feel like yeah. the, we shared, I feel like when you brought over that chocolate cake, I was just like, I just feel like I don't relate to anybody anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I I do think like Some of the interviews, I think I like, wasn't really like emotionally prepared for, I felt very, like, I didn't say what I wanted to say or like the way that someone was portraying me or my story was either not fair or disrespectful or, um, so there are definitely like moments like that where I was like, wait a second, like I should have just said no to this interview. Like I wasn't ready for this, um. And definitely that idea, that feeling of kind of like the, no one relates to me, like no one can understand um, a little bit as well. Yeah. I don't know. I think, I think that idea of like, sometimes there's things that should be shared. And sometimes there's things that you need to like, that are yours that you should keep to yourself. I definitely battle with that. Like in my, um, just like in my journey with like the trauma that I was talking about with my partner, like not wanting Logan to have to know everything, you know, I didn't want that. I didn't want that trauma to change the way that he thought about me. Um, those are definitely things that I had to reckon with, but I think ultimately, like the more we are able to share, the easier it is for the people that we love to understand what we're going through. And I think when it is important to share is when you're worried that your behavior might be hurtful or be taken the wrong way. And that's, like, that's the point where it's, like, these people need to understand, like, that you're going through something and that, like, if you have an outburst, it's not, like, it's about something else. Mm-hmm. I think those are really, like, the most important. And if there's, like, things that you're reckoning with on your own that you feel, like, aren't impacting your relationships, like, then freaking go for it. Or you're not ready or you don't feel safe or you don't feel like uh, you can trust that person to, like, be careful with that information, you know? Those are all good reasons to not share. Yeah. But... um Yeah, I mean, in general, I think like for me, it was really about like bringing these dark things into the light this whole last year, you know? And even though it's like, if you look at the on paper version of my last year, it doesn't look dark at all. It looks like, wow, so glamorous. There's so much traveling and accomplishment and stuff. Yeah, that did definitely happen via being like, okay, this is something that I would love if it could stay buried forever, but like, it doesn't do anyone any good to have it buried especially me.
0: Yeah. And that's, what's most important.
1: Yeah. I mean, and then definitely there, there were times too, where like I would bring dark stuff into the light and realize that maybe the people that I was confiding in were not ready to handle it. And, you know, maybe there was, there were more boundaries that I needed to draw, but you know, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't tried.
0: (laughs) Yeah. One thought I, question I had is, you know, when someone's in that, you know, we, and we were in that space together a lot where, something was it felt a little off like whether in preparation or we were on the row and I can remember times when so the the shift change it would be I'm taking over for Libby and you were on deck and then when you would you would switch off an hour in and then Brooke would come on and then her and I are rowing for an hour mm-hmm. and there was a couple times and I can't even remember what they were that like Brooke would turn around and she's like what's going on mm-hmm. and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> but it was like everything over here everything's fine. Yeah. And the, you know the thing that I I remember saying to her was like if you if something's off like there was something navigationally I think between happened at one point and I was like just ask her like I don't yeah. know what the weirdness is so like you got to clear it out right? Yeah. But I feel like do you have anything especially with you know coming back and we're not currently rowing an ocean, is, you know, and we're always in communication with people. Like you have a boss, you have a partner, you have roommates, you have um, several bosses, I think, because you work at a couple different places, is, and parents and siblings. And mm-hmm. is when you notice that something's a little off, and it could just be like someone that normally makes eye contact with you is not like their body language says differently. You, you work, you do body work with people. So, like, there's a lot that people are, are or aren't saying, and maybe even just like permission to talk about things Yeah, is, do you have like a specific question that you like to ask? Like when you're in the space of like, something seems off here, do you say like,
1: is everything okay? Or? Yeah, it, it kind of does depend. I think usually I I don't say like, if there's nothing that I can think of like between us, like if there's not something, cause a lot of these people, like I don't have that much contact with, I mean, obviously my my clients I do, but. Clients are funny because like sometimes they just like want to not talk the whole time and sometimes they do want to talk. And so um, usually I'll just, yeah, be quiet. And like if something comes up and they want to voice it, then they're welcome to, or I might ask them kind of more like surface level questions. And if they, if it turns, if they turn it into something deeper, then I will like go down that road with them. But yeah, I think most of the time I'll like try and just like let that person decide if it's something that they want to bring up or not. But if there's like weirdness with me and I have an issue with someone, um, which hasn't happened very much since the row. Yeah. I have been, I have been more like, I need to say something. <laughs> I need to, I need to say something, but, um, yeah, I do think that sometimes it, it, I need to be patient, you know, cause if I say something right away, it's usually not actually the problem. Like I'll just mm. look for things to blame for feeling weird or angry or, or whatever. Um, so I do need like a cooling off period before I like kind of, and that's like that time that you're talking about with Brooke, like we had like a miscommunication where we each had a story about what was going on that was incorrect. And it took like a little bit of cooling off and then like, we could talk about it and be like, so this is what I thought was happening. And be like, Oh this is what I thought was happening. Oh, that's totally mismatched. Okay, cool. Like we're good. But yeah, I mean it's so interesting, right? Cause it's like it's hard to trust someone when you feel like they're trying to get something out of you. You know? If someone's like, hey, like what's wrong? Tell me. It's like, well, you don't need to know. <laughs> you know, I I've never responded well to people. Doing that, um, unless it's someone that I really know and trust who is probably saying that because they're noticing some behavior that's weird, in which case I'm like, Oh, I should probably look at something. But yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I was just thinking of, um, you, you brought up a couple of things that made me think of recent conversations I've had with people where, you know, all this talk that we talked about is like, Oh, I've been become a better listener. And then I'm like, Yeah, I have. And then I think, To a conversation that I'm like, oh, this person said some things and totally projected onto me. And in that moment, like I wasn't fully, I was like, I I can't percentage wise it, but I wasn't fully listening because I felt I was under attack. Mm
1: -hmm. And I know
0: that that really truly happens is when you feel like you are in fight, flight, or freeze mode, your listening skills decline because you don't need them as much because you need to get into action. And so it's like, okay, rewind, give myself some compassion. And also, I like immediately went to like in that exact experience is making things nice. Like I don't want this. I don't want you to be mad at me. I want it to be good. I want you to like me. Like that's also a humanistic trait that we have for surviving our species. It's like I want to be a part of this group, and and so I think about well, what have I said to others that has now gone well? Mm -hmm. And there's Mm -hmm. been times where I've said to Jason like, "Hey, everything okay?" Mm -hmm. And I'll be like, yeah, that's fine. I'm like, okay, well, then I'm just going to trust you that it is. Yeah. And then if you do want to share more, then, and then sometimes that has been a door that opens because I'm actually asking a question versus putting something on like, hey, I noticed that you're being weird and obviously tone matters, but, um, or I noticed that you, sometimes it's back to this thing about like what, what needs to be said and what doesn't is sort of like, oh, I I've noticed that you've been wanting, you've been watching more. YouTube lately or something mm-hmm. like that is true.
1: Yeah. Something objective, like not an attack. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of different. Cause like, or like with my clients, for example, because we don't have like, you know, daily interactions where like, I'm not going to be most of the time. I would hope like the source of their emotional tension, mm-hmm. like they are coming to me for release and like facilitation into like calmness you know and so um it's easy to definitely like not feel that stress response that you're talking about but in other times where i've had conversations like tough conversations like with family members things like that usually i'd rather like not not resolve it not try and resolve it immediately but just like take space just be like well it's not going to be resolved today then because like i can't hear you you can't hear me like let's check back in like later.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a good way to put it is like having there be a pause. Um, The saying that I love is when emotions are high, cognition is low. Yeah. So it's just like having that awareness. I'm like, "Hmm. I'm sweating over here. Probably not a good time
1: to speak up. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I want to know as
0: you've made your way back to, this. it's almost been a year crazy that we've been, Yeah. Back to land, life on land. Um, And you mentioned one of your biggest things for you before the row was preparing yourself for after the row. Has there been any um, new and favorite rituals and self-care routines that you've practiced since returning?
1: I think that I take like self-care on more of like a macro scale. And for me right now, that means that like, I'm not training for anything. And I'm very mindful with my scheduling. Like I'm aware that I'm very privileged and that I have, I don't do a typical, like I don't do 40 hour a week job and I don't have kids. And a lot of times my partner is out of town. So I have a lot of free time. Yeah. I mean, like my approach to exercise is a lot more balanced. You know, I'm not training for something. And I think as athletes, sometimes we can get so caught up in like the preparation for a specific event that sometimes like we lose track of like the that there's an actual human doing it and like a human body. So, and I remember like when I was training full time for rowing, people being like, "Oh, you're so healthy." And I was like, "I don't think this is healthy actually. Like I'm rowing, I'm like doing the same repetitive motion twice a day. I'm way overtrained. Like I don't have a social life. Like a lot of things about this are not healthy." And now my like goals for my ex my workouts are health and feeling good in my body and so that's just like been and same thing with like what I eat and like how I schedule my work like it's all scheduled around making me feel good which is just like not ever been a goal of mine at least like a high priority goal so like there are things that I like to do self-care wise like I don't know like pampering like grooming. I love getting massages obviously, but I think the biggest thing that I do for myself is take time to think about what it is that I want for myself and like put it on the calendar, you know, make make time for it. And for me, like a big one is I I can tend to kind of become a hermit and like not put energy into a lot of important friendships and relationships. And since coming back, I've like kind of worked my friendships into my workouts so that I see my friends more often. And like, I have put a lot more time into those friendships and um, relationships that were kind of neglected earlier. So I think just like that idea of like living, connecting to people, doing things that are nourishing for my body and my mind is kind of like a more like holistic kind of self-care thing, as opposed to like a specific ritual that I do every day.
0: Yeah. And you also said earlier about, Eating food because you—how did you word it? You're like, I'm gonna wait till I'm hungry and then eat what I want to eat, which cool.
1: <laughs> is just a—it's such a simple thing. It's so simple. I think what can be hard is like if you do cook all of your meals, you have to plan ahead. Like you got a grocery shop, you got to meal prep a little bit, and meal prepping also makes it a lot easier to eat food from home and not eat out. Mm-hmm. But. um. Yeah. I mean, even that, like I've, I've, I have bought more food out since coming back because you no know, YOLO. <laughs> yeah. Like most of the time I'll just like eat what I have and like make something that looks really good. And I, I do put time into my cooking, but also sometimes I'm like, no, I want pizza and I'll go get it. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's just not something that I would have done in the past. Yeah. Doing something. Cause you want to do it. Yeah. That just didn't seem Yeah. I think like a big theme for me is this idea that I have nothing to prove to myself or anyone else. And I think that for most of like my life up until now, I really have had a lot to prove. Like I've needed to prove to myself that I'm strong and capable and in control of my body. And I've needed to prove, you know, to the haters, like to the people that said I would never be good at rowing or something that I can do something. And like in the last three years between like the end of my flat water rowing career and like the ocean row, I've just been like, well, how about I like live for me now? Mm -hmm.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, you brought up the thing of of feeling, you know, I have privilege. I get to choose like to not work a 40 hour work week and all these things. And I can relate so much to that where I feel like if I want to do something, who am I to not do it? Like there is no governor in my life that says, "Oh, you want to do that? You sh- you really shouldn't." Yeah, and that I feel like can get wrapped up in the the privilege of like, yeah, like I I did get to go to college and I got to learn more so that I could have a. A different career than the ones my parents had because they didn't go to college. And mm-hmm. I chose to have only one kid instead of four. And so, you know, you have no kids at this point in time and I have one, but still like our perspectives are like, I want to live yes, to be of service to others and like have an impact, but it's like at the end of the day, it's, it's our life to choose how we spend our time, how much sleep we get, what food we put in our bodies what adventures we choose to take or not take. And it can simply come from, I want to do this.
1: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like what I say is like, if I don't take care of me, who's supposed to do it? Mm -hmm. Like, who am I putting that on? Like, is it nobody? Or like, is there someone that I'm expecting to like, pick up the pieces when I've like, neglected myself? Like, that's not, that's not how to like, it, you can't be of service to anyone if you like, you can't pour from an empty cup, you know? Yeah. Well, um, we can't, we can't, can't only for others. so
0: long. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah. can't expect someone to pick the pieces up for us. One exactly. of my teachers always said, He's like, help is not on the way.
1: <laughs> That's kind of a fun way of putting it. I mean, um, yeah, it's like, and, and, you know, a lot of it is choice, but there definitely is like, you know, baseline privileges that come with it and like ways that I was raised and stuff. But, Yeah. Being able to exercise, being able to eat well, being able to like live in a place that like fills my cup and being able to work doing something that is fulfilling to me are non-negotiables, like all of them. And I think a lot of people feel like they just have to pick one and make it work. And some people genuinely do only get to pick a couple. Um, but fortunately I get to pick all, so I will do that as long as I can. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening. If what you heard today lit you up in any way, please take the time to subscribe, like, and share the podcast with your friends. It'll help us reach more people in courageously and confidently rocking life. Make sure you follow me on Instagram to see the messy fun I'm up to at the Smith, And check out my current wellness events and coaching programs on my website, alignedlivingnow.com. I look forward to being
1: with you next week. Until then, get messy.